not going to intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. From the galactic controversy. What are you passionate about? What do you want? That's your opinion and your title. Thank you, Deanne, for coming on to Entitled Opinion Podcast. Uh, yeah. Love to have you here and good to see you. It's been a long time here with yeah. Al. What is your most controversial opinion that you are passionate about? When you asked that question, I was thinking of a lot of funny things, you know, but um, I was thinking about it and, you know, we're talking about mental health. We're talking about, you know, schizophrenia, stuff like that. And it kind of made me think about the whole And I don't know if this is like a controversial thingy, but the Baker acting or Mm. there's a lot of other different states have different words. Mm -hmm. Um, So, so in, in Florida, Baker acting is when you involuntary involuntarily put somebody into a mental institution because they're harmed to other people or to themselves for, I think 72 hours. And they keep them for 72 hours and it's a watch. They have a, usually the, a psychiatrist, psychologist come assess them, throw them on whatever meds they need to throw them on to stabilize them enough to release them. And, um, you know, when we're talking about severe mental illness, that's not, that's not enough. I mean, it just throws them on medication and they're back out on the street mm-hmm. or they're back at their loved ones and family. So your you controversial know, I, opinion is it's not enough. Is the Baker acting is, is not enough? It needs to be longer. It needs to be longer. Personally, I don't know. I can only explain from personal opinion, right? I can't imagine being in the hospitals, working on the on the wards, and dealing with it all the time because they get. I know when um, when we went through it with my son, um, he was. He was in for three days on the floor called One North. And then when he was stabilized, he was moved over to a different floor. But it was, he was basically just drugged up mm-hmm. to stabilize him because he wasn't stable when he came in at all. He was a harm to himself and to others. That's why we had to put him in. Was he but ever? I don't know. How... Sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, you go ahead. I don't know how that can be a controversial conversation, but. You know, for some people, I, I've known people that have been Baker acted. It was, they were there, they felt safe. They were able enough to get, they were able to get stable enough in their head. Mm-hmm. Now, granted, they didn't have a severe mental illness, like bipolar, schizophrenia, schizoaffective disorder, but they were able to get settled enough, get on some medication to slow their brain down and then go back and then go back out into society and do okay and do you know, get some help. Would a solution potentially be having as a part of this assessment, uh, have this be a trial period and then during the assessment, if if the uh, physicians say that this person needs more attention and then what we can give them in a sparse amount of time, maybe just extend it. Well, but then we're dealing with, okay, they, they extend it, but then you have one doctor that's visiting them and they leave I don't know. It's, it's, I can't imagine the people at the top, whatever, trying to deal with this pandemic of mental illness that we're dealing with right now in society anyways. But 
then you have somebody who's released to get them in to see a psychiatrist is is ridiculously impossible because it's outrageous and expensive. Um, most health insurances don't cover it. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're privatized. Most psychiatrists, which in order to get a proper diagnosis <laughs> of schizophrenia bipolar, I believe they need to be diagnosed properly from a psychiatrist. And to get in, and it's like a psychiatrist is, I mean, I know right now in the private sector, it's a six to eight week wait, and it's a 250 to $300 an hour. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I don't think I could find one for less than $150 for an hour. Mm-mm. And then in the public, you know, if you're on Medicaid or something, there's a few psychiatrists around, but you're looking at a six to eight month wait just to get an initial appointment. Yeah. So how do you, what do you do, <laughs> you know? I mean, I think it's it's crazy because so many people are diagnosed with it. And, you know, if you don't, if you haven't been exposed to anybody with schizophrenia, it's kind of hard to wrap your your mind around it, but when you look at the statistics, there's one in every two or one in every three hundred people are diagnosed with schizophrenia in their lifetime, and yeah. you know, on a scale of the size of the United States, you know that's like two to three million people right now that have schizophrenia, and and it's a it's a debil- debilitating disease, and it's more likely that you know if you have schizophrenia, you're going to be homeless, you're going to be uh, more likely to kill yourself. It's like a fifty yeah. percent higher chance of killing yourself. And I think it's. High. What about incarceration? Incarceration. I think incarceration yeah. is probably yeah. the best case scenario for somebody with a serious case of schizophrenia. And you know, there's so many different. You hear people, people. You know, aud- there's so many different types. Like we we think that we put them in one box. Like a schizophrenic is like the movie Beautiful Mind, right? Mm-hmm. And those are one in every slim chance that they're like, how, who was the guy? Who was the yeah, man Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe. And, and the gentleman that he played, there's one in- John Nash. Right. There is, there's few that are like that. Most of them, the auditory and the visual hallucinations that they have are awful. And they're not nice, <laughs> you know. What kinds of auditory hallucinations uh, do they get? Um, are you talking from personal experience that I dealt with with my with my son Jeff? Or well, I guess that would be the the that'd be the best evidence that uh, well, I suppose from everything that I've learned about it. They could be um, some of the voices are. So when they say voices, people think, oh, do they like split personality? No, it's they hear voices in their head. And when Jeffrey was diagnosed with schizophrenia, he was 19. He um, was a sophomore year of college. Now, I think there were some signs showing through before, but I just was taking that as he's being eccentric and you know, different kind of things. But the first time that we were told by a doctor that these are signs of schizophrenia was he was hospitalized, but he was paranoid. Um, the voices in his brain were telling him not to use the phone, not to eat certain foods, mm. and, you know, paranoid, you know, 
Zeke, so my younger brother Zeke, he obviously, you know, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia as well. And uh, some of his things were um, he wanted to become a neuroscientist and move to Shanghai. He had, had many, many visions of, of grandeur. And, uh, and depending on, I guess, it went through phases too, because I think he was also bipolar. And, uh, and he was obsessed with getting this degree. And then he'd, he'd go through like months at a time where he wouldn't speak. He would be, he would be selectively mute is what the doctors mm -hmm. diagnosed him with. And, uh, one time he went, he went to a pizza parlor and ordered food and ate it. And then he ran away. He'd like Dinah dashed and with his Heelys on and he's, he's like six foot five with a wizard outfit. He was carrying a wand and a wizard hat and the cops <laughs> stopped him and they, they took yeah. him in and he didn't say anything. And so they let they released him instead of taking him into jail because they didn't know how to hand, how to deal with him. <laughs> and so he had a warrant out for his arrest for a while because he died in a dash and the cops didn't know. I guess they didn't know what paperwork to fill out because he wouldn't speak. He wouldn't speak to these people. Um, so I don't yeah. know. I, I bring that up because uh, I've heard stories with you know about the things that schizophrenic people do, and I do find a lot of similarities. And it's kind of it's weird that it's the same kind of experiences that they have. They get obsessive thinking and you cannot, and it was funny, I was reading something the other day on, and I made the mistakes because I didn't understand schizophrenia. Um, Jeffrey would get into obsessive thinking and he was right no matter what. And I not argue with him, but I would ask him, you know, and it's, it's their right. They're right. Jeffrey, um, his first time that he was arrested, same also, because people didn't understand he there was a huge philosophy debate at the university of south florida where he was going to school and he believed that he was better that he should have been teaching the debate he went right up on stage and started teaching to basically told the professor to sit down and he started teaching the debate wow yeah yeah and he was arrested that night he was and arrested that for was, that yeah he was arrested for um basically disrupting on the university campus on the university campus so that was the first time that we were told that he is showing signs of schizophrenia you know mm -hmm. but he also had and a lot of them have ideas of being a savior jesus they second coming jesus. jeffrey believed he was the messiah for a while zeke yeah. zeke did too he it's it's really weird they're like i think and there's sometimes he wouldn't feel like he was the savior. And then, but sometimes he did. And he was like, you're just a demon or you're like a peasant. He was thought very lowly of most people he dealt with. Yeah. Can this onset really rapidly? Well, you know, or you see it progress. Uh, you know, well, uh, as a mom, you know, I racked my brain over and over and over. Had, had, was there signs? Was there signs? Was there signs? Um, I know Jeff experimented with drugs mm -hmm. in college. And um, I think the gene was dormant. I think I've been told that the, the psych doc that we saw um, said that the gene can lay dormant and may never come out. A stressful situation could bring it out. They're having the psych doctor who I've got to know quite well. Um, he said they're having a lot more cases of young men with schizophrenia. And he believes that a lot of the drugs that are out there are kind of 
They're you know, because triggering it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's so it, I know that in Western medicine, uh, there's been an increase in autism and autism related disorders, but a large a hypothesis for the causation of that is better diagnostics, more sensitive diagnostics. Yeah. And you're saying that it's not necessarily that we're getting better at pointing this out, but there may be environmental factors that are inducing these latent genes. I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I think I don't know, okay. you know, do you, would you speculate on what kinds of substances might bring these out um from talking with the psych doc that um he deals with a lot of schizophrenic patients in the town that i used to live in um he's finding that a lot of these homemade drugs that like that molly um acid mm -hmm. um they're finding um you know marijuana is is a dopamine increaser correct so we we get that high that euphoric feeling um i i'm not i don't know i know jeffrey did a lot of marijuana and it was the fucking pot zeke zeke also smoked a lot right, of weed what about, what about, i mean i think he did do you think that contributed or do you think i he mean did we other stuff? our theory was with zeke that uh the acid and the other drugs the psychedelic drugs induced it and yeah. made it happen quicker uh yeah. but i've always had the feeling that it was probably going to happen no matter what with zeke and perhaps mm -hmm. the drugs just made it happen quicker i um, believe the same thing Jeff. exactly and and there were yeah. and you're talking about signs i think my mom zeke was telling my mom you know when he was like 16 or 17 he's like mom i think something's coming i don't know what's happening but i i can feel it and it doesn't feel good yeah. And, you know, yeah. so it was, I think there are signs and because, I mean, he wasn't, oh, yeah. I don't think he was doing psychedelics at that point in time yet. Uh, but you know, I think, I think for Zeke, it was going to happen no matter what. And certainly the psychedelics, I think specifically make it happen more quickly. And, but, but again, I'm not a doctor, but it, it seems that way. I do too. And I think that's the same with Jeff, whether he would have got it or not. Um, I think probably. You know, I remember when he was a little kid, he would come out of his room when he couldn't go to sleep. And he says, mommy, I can't sleep. The voices won't stop talking to me. Oh. And so I would take that as a wild imagination, mm -hmm. right? As a mom with a young kid, um, he very eccentric, always very eccentric out of the box. We just looked at it out of the box thinker, eccentric. He's not afraid to do anything. Mm -hmm. He would come up with some insane, crazy ideas. And I'm like, dang, this kid's smart, you know, <laughs> but it would be, you know, I've spoken to him about it when he was in a calm state. And he always has felt, he told me that he always felt like there was always something else in his head. Mm. You know, and it, and it was not peaceful for him. It wasn't peaceful. The voices were not nice for him. They were evil, are evil. I mean, it's, I mean, it's kind of wild because, you know, we would have, have people that would exercise the demons from our bodies, you know, hundreds of years ago, I'm sure uh, probably happening in the world right now, but I mean, what we can't even explain the intricacies and how to treat schizophrenia hundred so so like percent. We, we don't even know, like even with the science, 
We don't even know what the fuck's going on. And no. maybe it would be better to exercise it with a priest or something. I don't know. But that's... Well, and then I look at, I think... It's just as likely to help. Yeah. Or then how bad does... How... I look at it this way. You know, we have so many societal norms, right? This is how we think people should act. People should act this way. They should do this. They should perform this way, perform that. Who says we're right? You know? I mean, just because... Um, somebody who has, who's schizophrenic they're they have this wild imagination. They do. And who says that we're right or wrong? We push them in a box. Really. We force them on medication. Um, I know here living in new Orleans and then where I used to live, where I used to live, they don't want to admit that we have a mental health crisis going on. Mm -hmm. you know, and where, here, where did you used to live? That was in that was Dustin. You mean Dustin? Dustin in Niceville, Florida. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And they don't want to talk about it. They don't want to admit it. And it's happening. I, I would get calls. I had my name on a list with the mental health organization um, to help other parents who were walking through this and not knowing what to do, where to go. And then you come here to New Orleans. It's There's a young man that I see every single day. And like he's not on drugs, but and he's schizophrenic. I can tell by his body movements, the way you know he's talking to something, you know. Mm -hmm. And you know, my heart breaks every time I see him. You know, I just want to hug him and take him home and take care of him, but I can't. And he's, mm. you know, but and it's everywhere, so you can't ignore it. How is the treatment uh, availability in New Orleans compared to Dustin? I think it's very difficult here. It's also it's difficult. difficult. Yeah, it is. They keep them for three days and release them. In fact, that young man that I see every day when I drive to work, he stands on a street corner with a water bottle full of like a Windex and a squeegee and he cleans people's windows. But most of the time he can't get off the meridian to clean the window. Um, hmm. Whether there's a fear of stepping down or whatever the voices are telling him, he, I noticed he had a medical bracelet on. I hadn't seen him for a week and I noticed he had a medical bracelet on. So I wondered if he had been in the hospital, you know, and he's nonverbal. He doesn't talk because I rolled my window down and said hi to him several times, <laughs> you know, but. So I, I don't know. I don't really have much experience firsthand with schizophrenia. Um, I have interacted with people who have, dementia which i think is is different maybe there's some some aspects of similarity but i i was refreshing myself on what schizophrenia was on wikipedia just to, to get an idea of this conversation and there it seems to be a lot of perception of um, schizophrenia being associated with violence uh, and and being a dangerous disease and if someone is speaking with jerky energetic movements that from a, a distance can be kind of scary so um is this something to worry about with schizophrenics what do you think hunter <laughs> well i mean yeah and i mean in zeke's case he was violent a few times uh with my mom and she was certainly scared a lot of the times and it got to a point where he couldn't live with her anymore um, and I mean, you, if you walk by homeless people in a city, uh, and they're talking to themselves, they're probably, they probably have schizophrenia. And do you feel safe when you walk by those people? Not all the time. 
sometimes. I think they can be unpredictable because we don't know what's going on. Um, you know, whether it's an induced drug induced psychosis that they're in on the streets a lot of times too, they're very unpredictable. Um, but yeah, there was, unfortunately the parents that I have spoken with and that have had a child that they've lost to schizophrenia. And I actually was working with a woman that her schizophrenia came out and her husband who, and he was 31. And unfortunately, you know, their marriage ended and he's um, in the hospital, but um, she was scared because you just don't know what, you just don't know what's going to happen, unfortunately. Yeah. And if it's a bigger person that you can't physically restrain, it certainly gets scary. Mm -hmm. Especially for mm -hmm. women with dealing with men who have it. And it's usually yeah. that way. Yeah. But but women men, but right? women do get it. And yeah, they it, do. It happens in their late teens and early and early twenties, just like men. But for some yeah. reason it's not as uh it's not, not as prevalent. A, I don't know the cause right. of that. And then it comes out I've read also that for women it can come out later. For some that it's come out later in life. Like I don't know whether it's the hormonal change of going through menopause or different stuff like that, but they're generally not the, I don't know. I, not the I, norm. I've a few women that have schizophrenia and I don't, I have a, have a healthy fear, you know, mm -hmm. and, I, and I don't know is I, how do you say as a mom that you feared your own son? And, but I did, you know, um, but is it because what they have going on in their brain, they're trying to get out or trying to make people understand or they're trapped? I felt like Jeffrey was trapped. The voices, he was trapped, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's a, I, I view it as an illness. I mean, it's a, it is an illness in my opinion. And that's, you know, it's classified as that a mental mm -hmm. illness, I guess. But, and, you know, if they can't help, they're affected by it. So, I mean, it's just a, something you have to deal with and you can't take what they're, what they're doing personally because a lot of the times they don't have control over what right. they're doing because of the mm -hmm. illness. And it's really hard yeah. to separate that the, their actions from the person mm -hmm. because it's not because they're a bad person, it's because of the illness. Yeah, how do you love the person and hate the disease? Yeah, right. exactly. And I remember I met with a doctor after not long after he was diagnosed and she explained to me that the child that I knew was gone and mm. you know so it's um mental illness is it's it's scary it's sad it's I, I think it's under misunderstood I really it's crazy it's even if the, in this day and age that everybody's on their fucking phones and recording everything that it's still misunderstood and it happens Fresh to so right. many people mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and it's yeah. not it's not I don't, it's not the fault of the parents it's just they have a disease and it happens across cultures across demographics it happens in different nations so it's yeah. it's a it's a fundamental human problem and it's not because of one group of people and yeah. it's, it happens across the board and i think it's it's crazy that it happens across the board like that and we don't have a solution a solution for it. And there's a serious gap in the the care for it, at least in Florida and probably in other states. I don't have experience. I'm I'm curious what if you guys I know you're from Canada. 
if you guys mm. ever took advantage of the healthcare system in Canada and dealing with Jeff and if that was useful. Well, yeah, actually, um, Jeffrey was released. At, Jeffrey had one, four hospital stays. Um, his first one was six weeks long and then came home. And then he had three more after that. His last one was a month. And the only reason that we were able to have him in a month is because of the psych doc that, you know, and you have to remember too, that we were able to pay for his psych doctor or he would not have had a month stay in a psych ward. You know, I don't like calling it the psych ward, one North. Um, he was there for a month and he was got stabilized. And then he actually moved to Canada. He's in, he's in British Columbia and he's protected under the BC mental health care act. So he's, he's registered and he gets X amount of dollars a month. Mm. He works anywhere from 16 to 23 hours a week. Um, he has, he lives in housing just like an apartment, but nobody would know. But the only stipulations are he has to see his doctor. Now I believe it's every six months. Um, he sees a psych doctor every six months, to every year. And if, if he has another um, psycho, um, psycho, psychotic break or whatever you want to call it, his name's like, it's almost like a registry. Mm -hmm. So he's not going to be taken to jail and thrown in jail. And that's a, get out, that's a get out of jail free card. That's nice. Yeah. He'll go straight to a, a hospital that will help him get his medicines regulated. And now we were lucky because he's a Canadian citizen and we were able to move him back there. And that's, and do you still talk to him? Is he still there? No, we haven't. Last time I saw him was seven years ago. And um, he, the voices, the voices Jeffries has are very, very, very strong. Um, they, and, and I don't, I don't, it is what it is, right? But the voices were to kill me and his two younger brothers. And oh my goodness, I'm sorry. And, no, it's okay. He knew in order to protect me and Keaton and McCoy, his two younger brothers, that he we we got we got to spend a week with him and um after we left he said he went into a almost like a dream light he was the voices were so strong and he was again dreaming and but awake when he was going through all this and he had called me in and told me that it was not good again and for his own personal mental health um no more contact which it's not fun, but out of respect for him, 100%, I want him safe, you know. Well, I mean, that's probably, a, I mean, that was probably not an easy choice for him to do that. And I don't I mean, think it was. And I, he, I know he has a very good doctor there because the doctor in Florida um, helped him, helped us find a psych doctor for him in British Columbia where he is. And with that psych doc and me understanding more about the disease, he's probably created an alternate reality. Mm -hmm. You know, are you? Oh, I hear your your voice is slowing down and speeding up. I think the internet connection is jacked up a little bit. You just got your voice got really fast and squeaky. The internet connection's a little funky. Here, let me go out here. There you go. Is that better? 
Yeah, that's a cool house. So that's that's yeah, Jamie's yeah. that's <laughs> that's Jamie's uh a workhouse. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a nice workhouse. workhouse. I live in her workhouse. Yes. It used to be an old grocery store, so um, What? That's fucking yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a corner store and that they've made into like a loft type thing. So yeah, cool. it looks like a it looks like a cabin. It's got like cabin wood walls. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's fun, you know. I'm only I I work all the time, so I'm only here to sleep really. So, <laughs> but yeah. Have you been able to get out and listen to any of the good music there anywhere? Oh my gosh, the music is great. Actually, apparently in COVID, what they started when they closed all the bars and everything, people would just be on their front porch. And uh, I was out walking the other night and they just, somebody had a band set up on their front porch. And so I went on the next door app and they just post different next door apps of people just setting up their band on the front porch and people bring lawn chairs and sit all over. So oh, it's that's, a lot of fun. That's pretty cool. That's awesome. Yeah, we don't have many of, much of that in uh, Solon, Ohio. <clears throat> oh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I think we might get file a, a noise complaint if somebody did that in our neighborhood. <laughs> yeah 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 so are you gonna so you said you bought a house in new orleans so you're gonna stay in new orleans i am i am um i love it here i've always loved it here i think it's diverse it's um it's it's so different from the last 21 years in niceville and destin (laughs) (laughs) what do you mean destin's not diverse it's not diverse enough for you they, they have they have Georgia fans and they have Alabama fans and Florida fans all in one all in one beach. FSU fans and UF fans and that's it. Here, <laughs> it's all. But um, I I absolutely absolutely love it here. I love the people. You know, my Brock says that it's a city of neighborhoods. You know. Yeah. And it is. I walk everywhere. I park my car after work and walk. Everybody sitting on the So phone. sinking in your roots into New Orleans, uh, what are you doing there that's keeping you so busy? Oh, okay. So I'm a CRC, Certified Rehabilitation Counselor. And um, originally I was going in to be, I wanted to do clinical psychology. I wanted to work with people with mental illness. Mm. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Do- yeah, right? I um. Was that inspired by yes. uh, the experience of Jeff? Okay. Absolutely 100% inspired by Jeff because when he was first diagnosed, I knew nothing. I knew nowhere to go. Um, doctors knew very little about what to Which do. Which is crazy. Where- it's a thing that happens so much and the doctors don't know much either. Yeah, they knew not. It was, you know, it was literally a friend that I finally opened up to and she goes just a minute and she called the doctor that we got him with his wife and just says can you fit him in you know or I wouldn't you know and number one you don't want to admit that when somebody says oh your son's showing signs of schizophrenia all you think is a person in a straitjacket and you never want to admit that that could be your child so I didn't ever want any parent to go through what I went through of not knowing what to do where to take them how to get them help I spent hours and hours and hours on the phone calling places and there's nothing, you know, very little help out there. And how do you, I mean, how was it? I remember with Zeke having to explain to everybody the actions that he did and, you know, why, why he 
why he was doing what he was doing and then like what schizophrenia is and mental illness and all this stuff and like the prevalency of it. How did you go, go about answering those questions when people would ask? Because I think there was a certain level, it sucks to say this, but I was, it was a little embarrassing and, you know, oh, yeah. a mix of feelings telling other, you know, people, friends you grew up with and new acquaintances, like, oh, this is... Yeah, I'm, I'm interested my... in this because I've, I've only heard through you guys how impactful this can be. Uh, and so... Explain it to me. How, what is the usual kind of spiel that you're given to someone who's known, who even grew up with somebody to some degree, and now they're, I guess, a different person almost? Well, Jeffrey's not in our life anymore. Zeke's not in your life anymore. You know, I, I don't, you know, I, I say I, I have been told, I've been advised. I say I lost a son. That's how I word it now, you know, but, you know, Zeke was right in the hometown where you guys all grew up, mm -hmm. right? Yep, yep. Yeah, you know, everybody knew Jeffrey from high school. He, everybody loved him. And, you know, Jeffrey didn't like clothes. I don't know about Zeke, but when <laughs> Jeffrey was... Zeke, Zeke didn't have a, he was clothed most of the time. I don't, I don't recall him running around naked or anything, but uh, I, yeah. I do recall Jeff was very anti-clothes growing up yeah and, yeah i had gotten a call from he was a you know he was a lifeguard on the beach and he still believed he was a lifeguard on the beach and would go down and try to luckily we knew a lot of amazing people in destin that would help him out but mm -hmm. he didn't like clothes no quite often he would be walking down the street naked yeah and how do you explain that when you live in a gated community in Destin? yeah that's not the place to be mm -hmm. uh I don't know what the word is that open. You know, my, for my younger yeah. the younger boys you know mm -hmm. was away at college through a lot of this but he dealt with a lot of it brock did they were both lifeguards together and you know he picked up on it a lot quicker of course i think i was in denial you know brock was like mom there's something wrong with jeff you know and they're only 18 months apart mm -hmm. yeah man that's and, gotta be uh, tough i know yeah that's that's why i asked because it was it's so hard like when it's happening you know, you have to explain the behavior and then there's a certain sense of like denial. Oh, there's nothing wrong with him. He's just, you know, he's, he's on drugs or he's going, having a hard time in life, but it's not something permanent. This is something that we're going to get over. This is just a temporary thing. And at some point you have to accept that it's, they're not getting over it and it's, you know, it's going to last forever. And when did you, when did, when did you come to realization that it was, you know, it was a, a thing and it wasn't, uh, you know, temporary. Hmm. His first time we had the diagnosis, I was still in denial. Mm -hmm. Then he had to live with us for a while and it was living hell. And he ran away. We, he ran away. He was gone for six months and then ended up finding him. Um, I think that, and he, we found him in Ohio. Um, he was arrested, but, and thrown in jail. And um, he was in the hospital there in Ohio for six weeks. Hmm. And I, that is when I finally came to the realization that he is sick and he's going to be like this for the rest of his life. And how you many know? how many psychotic breaks was that to get to that, that point? Second full one. Second one that ended up in the hospital. And he had three more, two more after that one. What was he going to, what would, did he say he was doing? Why did he go to Ohio? 
Uh, Zeke did uh, something similar. He, he tried to go yeah. to California. He ran away, and his goal was he I, he managed to not have his passport, thank heavens, or I don't think we would have found him. Mm. He, um, he had this in his head that he was going to India, too. For some reason, he felt like he needed, everything was he needed to do this. He actually got himself into chiropractic school in Ohio, in Iowa, Ohio. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, charming, gorgeous, beautiful boy, Mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, you know, I remember people would ask, I, I had to really watch myself because I was at the thing that everybody needs to understand that this is a disease. It's not his fault. It's not our fault, you know, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. Um, right. I felt, I felt judged. I'm not going to lie. You know, oh, I can imagine fucking Okaloosa County. I felt judged, you know, yeah, yeah. Like, how could you, you person, you raise this kid, and how could you let this happen to your kid? And it's not, yeah, and, it's and, not the parents' fault. It's, it is so much hope, not that. And, uh, yeah. I did, I yeah. felt a little judged too, just being, you know, he's my brother. And it's like, why, why would your family be like that? Yeah. And, yeah. you know, my heart hurt for my kids. Because, you know, Brock had Brock and Jeff were both lifeguards for years on the beach. And then all of a sudden people are saying to Brock, what the hell's with your brother? Why is your brother this? You know, Brock had to deal with that. You know, Keaton had to, (laughs) Keaton had to deal with it, Mm -hmm. you know, embarrassed to have friends over and not wanting to have friends over because you didn't know what your brother was going to do. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I I know. So Jeff, he went to Ohio to i guess that was how he was going to get to india and then yeah, I have no idea what he was thinking but he you know he so, did tell me he's going to baptize himself in the mississippi river because that's some tom needed, sawyer shit yeah <laughs> 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 he needed to be cleansed but thank heavens he never did you know but zeke he uh yeah. he wanted to find the ganges but he just did the mississippi instead huh huh he wanted to find the Ganges in India, yeah, but yeah. The Mississippi, Mississippi will do. <laughs> a little closer. Zeke yeah, had a, yeah. he said he Zeke had several psychotic breaks, and I think the the really big one he had was when he was trying to go to California and meet Elon Musk because he was going to ask Elon Musk to take his brain and his personality and upload it so he could live forever. That was another thing Zeke was obsessed with. He wanted to live forever, and uh, yeah. and he took my mom's suburban and a guitar and yeah. and nothing else he had his just his clothes on his back and he took the suburban i guess he had enough cash to get all the way to texas and he ran out of money and then he called my parents he was like hey mom and dad i need you to come get me i ran out of gas money to get to california i'm in texas and uh he said he was going to meet elon musk and uh you know i think that was probably one of the first times we realized like something's fucking going on here when they take action and do crazy things i think that's probably normal for most people dealing with it so you guys have mentioned that there can be an obsessive component and insisting on being right so across the months and years of the different um stages of of going in and out of the severity of the schizophrenia were there still common threads of obsession or um fixation or themes to hallucination well you want to start with that dan Gabri was very 
excessive, like, gosh, um, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think about that. Well, I think, um, I think for Zeke, he, the common theme was he dis distrusted authority and he would recite and he would write down so many times like the bill of rights and the mm -hmm. and the u.s constitution wow. like no one can take my rights away and i think that probably had something to do with being like being baker acted and literally having your rights taken away and involuntarily you know viewed as a patient and then he yeah. also hated the doctors for some reason he hate he would write down their names there were like 12 doctors that he knew that he would write their names down and just repeatedly and say they don't know what they're doing they don't know how to treat schizophrenia they don't know my disease i have to self-medicate and that was another thing he did he would self-medicate a lot with he loved adderall and any ah. anything any uppers Oof. that he could get his hands on uh, even like a monster energy drink a five-hour energy drink um adderall or i guess if he could find cocaine i'm sure he would like that too but um at, i remember one time he ordered a 20 pack of Flonase off Amazon and we think he was just, you know, he was just trying to get high and, and we were told that he was self-medicating. That was how he was trying to self-medicate, but he was also manic a lot. And if he yeah. took Adderall or did something that would keep him up, Jesus. he would be running around the house and, you know, have his, his Heelys on blasting music at like three in the morning. And it was fucking, you know, you can't operate as a yeah. as a person living with somebody that's that's doing that so i think for him some common threads were uh self-medication a distrust of authority and for some reason he really didn't think the doctors knew what they were doing and he was very vocal about well, that from what you've been saying it, it you guys are saying it sounds kind of like the doctors aren't super well prepared for this and 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 maybe even trying to pawn it off at times no, I mean, I, I don't, I mean, I know the psych doc that we had, he was, he was very good, but there's, unless they're on some sort of medication, um, you know, a lot of times they are paranoid. I mean, Jeffrey was very similar with the doctors and, you know, every, that was one of the reasons that I'm so grateful we were able to get him out of the United States. He was paranoid of the United States. They were going to take his rights, just like you said, but he had been hospitalized several mm. times here and he couldn't leave, mm -hmm. you know? So he was, he was did, did he think people were coming to get him at any time? Or I guess that that's exactly that the U S government trying to take his rights. I mean, he, he, like you see on TV, he thought every, like he wouldn't let me use my cell phone. You know, he was worried they were going to track, they were going to find him. Um, but then the voice, and then it switched that it was more, he um he got very obsessed like i said with me and his brothers and or he had to do things i remember i got a call from keaton was a junior in high school and i got a call and because jeffrey was sitting on the roof of his car because jeffrey believed in his brain that he had to go to school because mr myers coach myers needed jeffrey at school to be the disciplinary for some reason <laughs> And I came home from work. Poor Keaton is like fit to be tied because his, you know, brother wouldn't leave. And 
you know, I basically had to, I called Grant Myers and Mr. Myers and just said, Hey, can you help me out? He talked to Jeff. I don't need you today. You know, type thing. <laughs> he had an obsession for, for quite a long time that he, he was needed at Niceville high school to be the disciplinarian and to take care of the kids, you know? <laughs> well, this is like, uh, oh, what's that? Daisy confused with the guys, guys with the paddles, they would wait outside the, uh, the kids that were graduating middle school and they chase them down and beat them with paddles. I just yeah. watched that movie recently. That's a great movie. You know, I think, I think, I think a lot of times people in society in our society, we don't want to admit it, you know, mental illness, schizophrenia, bipolar, whatever. And I think it is ignored, not ever talked about. Mm -hmm. Um, it's not the most easiest thing for me to talk about, but I have, I can, I've learned to detach from it a bit um, and to educate people because I think, I think people need to be educated more on it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. At the very least. And then there's, you know, a call to action that you'd want to give people to, I mean, if they have, if they know anybody who's dealt with it, like these are the things they can, you know, avenues they can take advantage of to find support. What what were the what what have you found the, to be most useful to deal with this to deal with schizophrenia, you know, for Jeff or for yourself or your family to come to terms or you know find any medication support. I think understanding the disease was was the biggest thing. Understanding it and why he was doing because it wouldn't make any sense, right? I remember he argued. He was arguing with me one day because I allowed his three younger brothers to grow up. He was so mad at me and he was livid that I let them grow up. I ruined his life because I let his older his younger brothers grow up, right? Oh, and, and that's another thing that I that the psych doctor that he had spent some time with me. He goes, you need to understand that Jeffrey remembers his childhood with a schizophrenic brain. Now we remember our childhood with an adult brain, right? Mm -hmm. Like we can say, oh, we were, oh, I remember this memory when I was six years old, I was being a brat to my mom, yada, yada. Well, we were six, whatever. Jeffrey remembers everything and schizophrenia, pe people with schizophrenia remember everything with the schizophrenic brain. So they're, thoughts and ideas are twisted about that. That's why they usually are angry at one person. I don't know about Zeke, but it was directed at me. Zeke you know? was very angry at my mom a lot of times. And he would, and I remember, I think that, I mean, that, that makes a lot of sense to me because he would say things like, mom, you abused me growing up. Yeah. Jeffrey did the same thing. And that was a little last. Jeez. Yeah. And, and then like, my mom was like, fuck, I like, I feel so bad. I can't believe I abused my son. And then she like was thinking about it. I was like, I didn't fucking do that. <laughs> right, right. Do these yeah. things that he's telling me I did. But I mean, it takes a while to under, like you said, understand and kind of separate yourself from the situation. What did I do? And you know, I read things and then I remember reading something that a high stressful pregnancy could change the chromosomes in the brain and dot, dot, dot. And I thought for a while it was my fault. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. I had a stressful pregnancy and I'm like, Oh, I fucked up my kid, you know, or, and, but then I did find out I'm adopted. So I managed, I found out a year after Jeffrey was diagnosed, I managed to get a hold of my birth mother. And I found out that her dad, so my birth grandfather mm -hmm. was a parent atomic schizophrenic oh. for in my family. 
Yeah. You know. Yeah, I don't know what the so I mean I saw the same same things on you know if you search what are the causes of schizophrenia they have ideas and you know genetics is like the biggest yeah. the biggest cause of that and I don't know so you think is there what what other causes do you think exist for schizophrenia to bring it on yeah drugs absolutely one percent so don't do drugs kids that's the message <laughs> certain drugs. You know, acid, all these other mollies. I don't even know half the names out there, you know? <laughs> it's all the pots and the mollies. Yeah. What's your opinion on, um, the, I guess, the naturally occurring ones? Do you think those should also be avoided? What do you mean naturally occurring? Marijuana? Is that what you mean? Uh, marijuana, um, psychedelic mushrooms, things like ayahuasca, I DMT. I have a ton of research on all that stuff. Yeah, I think in controlled environments, but we all, okay, that's great, right? Like, um, Gabor Mate, who I absolutely love. I don't know. He's great. If you ever want to read on an amazing doctor from Canada, his name is Gabor Mate. F phenomenal. And he's done a lot of research on ayahuasca. He, um, he actually has a place in Vancouver, um, but we're still putting something in our brain and we don't know how our brain is going to handle it. That is my only thing. Like I, I know people that have done ayahuasca things. I know people that I'm not against anything like that, but we just don't know how our brain's going to react. That's it. Alex, a bit, Alex, a big fan of ayahuasca and the uh, psychedelics. Yeah. I know a lot of people are, I don't think there's anything wrong with them at all. Well, there's a I lot of, lot wrong with alec <laughs> <laughs> more than we can say on air <laughs> right? I, sometimes these kinds of experiences can be so intense that even during waking life you're not sure if it's what you're experiencing right now is a hallucination based off of this insane experience that you had previously so and um, like that for the rest of your life that would be schizophrenia Man, that would right. suck. But, uh, a yeah, lifelong cause, trip. Cause things may have an internal yeah. things have an internal logic, right? But when you're trying to make that connection to someone else, there's there's not that connection. Yeah, I've talked to a lot of people that have done it and that you know have done ayahuasca and you know or the mushroom trips or whatever you want to call. It. I'm not really um don't really fully know all the verbiage for it, but um they say it's helped. They've realized things. They've been able to work through and walk through things. I think in a medical setting, go for it, you know, or in a safe environment. I think for sure, though, there should be a screening for schizophrenia. Schizophrenia. Um, if it's not diagnosed, then there need to be some kinds of. You can't screen. Uh, you can't screen for it at all. Mm -mm. I think the symptom is the psychotic break and. That's happens after, you know, it happens. It is come to manifest itself. Yeah. I knew a young man that um, was doing a lot of drugs for a while and he stayed in a psychosis for several weeks and then came out of it. He was very lucky. You know, some don't come out. Yeah. There's no screening for schizophrenia, unfortunately, you know, well, are there, um, if you do a DNA test, can it tell you if you have a predisposition for it? I, I don't. I don't. I think you can. 
I, I think you can do that. I Googled that, and uh, I think you can determine if you have a predisposition to it, but it's not going to say, like, you're, you're going to have it. I think there are, like, indicators that say you might ha likely have something, and then you might not have something else, but I think it's not 100% accurate. I've had some experiences in my life which have led me to think that there may be a... a latent gene in in my dna which i don't know if it would ever manifest through me unless it was extremely stressful but when i was going through very stressful times in my teenage years there were some periods where when i was going to sleep i would hear names i would hear voices saying my name um and then there have been times when like i've been in a stressful time in my life and especially after i've been drinking and i'm hung over the next day i might see something out of the corner of my eye um so i know that that not getting too drunk and then also trying to mitigate stress are important for my mental health well stress is a um, i mean alcohol is a depressant yeah yeah i know a lot of people that drink and they have i i don't drink uh anymore um that they have more anxiety more problems yeah. brain to slow down and 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 after a night of crazy drinking and then funny you drink a beer or you have like a bloody mary or something like that and you feel better because you've leveled the blood alcohol level in your brain yeah it can be a vicious cycle absolutely mm -hmm. so if i should if, stop drinking then. that's what you guys are telling me <laughs> huh? turn it down i should stop drinking <laughs> not heavily just don't drink just don't just do whatever you want <laughs> i won't i won't admit that uh but i will that i was drinking until 3 a.m last night and my girlfriend this morning oh i felt absolutely great i felt the best of my life when i woke up this morning jumped out of bed did a bunch of push-ups ran around the block i looked at my girlfriend she was like why do you do this to me and i was like why do you let me get so drunk <laughs> Oh, why do her. so many, <laughs> why do so many people crave that kind of intoxication? I, I crave it I and I don't me, know why. It's, it's almost like a, com a competitive thing. And at first, I don't know why I feel that way, but like, oh, I can, I can handle another one. I can handle another drink. And it's like, to a certain point, it's like not even fun, but it's like, I, I'm not about you to tap out. I'm not a quitter. What's going on up here, right? It's like, oh my gosh, this is so great. I have to have another one because I want to keep it going, mm -hmm. right? So you have another one and another one when your body hasn't even fully processed the one you had, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And 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 your decision making gets poorer and poorer, and so you think that you're good at doing whatever. Oh yeah. When you might be sideways. Totally. Totally. That's why so many bad, so many silly decisions are made on when people are drunk. <laughs> Yeah, it's like 80% of domestic abuse and I don't know what percentage of car accidents. It's it's like, I, and, and the reason that we, I think it's so prevalent in human societies is it was a way of purifying water and you, it was a way of being able to drink. And that you need to drink water and, and, and uh, <laughs> otherwise you might have bacteria that, that could get you before modern medicine, but it's it's spiraled out of control where it's like instead of just 
you know, because I don't know if you guys have ever read the um, Iliad or the Odyssey, mm -hmm. but uh, they over and over they talk about mixing the wine. So every meal they would serve wine mixed with water. There would be someone who's part of the ceremony, the ritual of having a meal together. One of the people who would take on the role of mixing the wine with the water and then distributing it to everybody. So that was how you could drink water. And so, but, but over time, things have become more and more distilled. So as where it might've been a relaxant um, that people were having with their meals. Now it's escalated. I live in Gainesville, Florida, which is a college town. And a Friday night here is a phantasmagorical experience. Oh, that's a fucking word. Of, of 20 year olds who come from millionaire families and have more all money and no life experience and they're just trying to get drunk as as fast and as intensely as possible and, and then fuck or fight each other's brains out while playing music extremely loud it's a bizarre i mean when dan you were talking about how you know we're trying to put schizophrenics in a box and like what the fuck is normal Living in this town is like living in a very strange microcosm, which I can't I can't understand how society has ended up in this place. Oh, I know. I see it all the time living in New Orleans. Yeah. <laughs> New Orleans oh, is probably yeah. crazy too. <laughs> said to me, oh my gosh, why would you move to New Orleans? Well, number one, it's amazing. But I don't I don't drink, but I'll still go out. We'll go, you know, to bars, listen to music. But I leave when people turn into assholes. You know, yeah. I don't need to be around it. But I don't want, I choose not to be around it. Um, you know, and that's another thing. It's how do you, it's coping mechanisms. People are drinking to cope. Oh, I've had a bad, you know, I've had a bad day. I, I can't, I need to have a glass of wine when I get home because I've had a bad day. You know, go for a walk. Yeah. I'd say exercise it's is probably a great replacement for that. Yeah. Yeah. But it gets to be for any addiction. We're, we're, we're a lazy society. And then especially with COVID, alcohol consumption skyrocketed um during covid because what else are people going to do when they're everybody's locked up in their homes they were drinking you know because <laughs> and the here's world was also ending, left so. field for you yeah, and uh, like, oh a... and then all that drama and everything you're not and thinking right. tiger king came on i was like oh what am i gonna do i was drink some wine and watch tiger king <laughs> i mean dang that tiger thing that was a weird show Man, he turned, he turned like how many straight dudes that was, gay? That dude had a fucking magic dick or something. I don't know how how he did that. Magic guy or a magic mouth, whatever. Right, right, right. <laughs> so here is a super out of left field question for you guys. Okay, bring it on. Do we have a crisis of meaning and vision in our culture? Like, what are we working towards? What is what's the goal? What are we doing? Well, thanks. That's Why a really easy question. Because, <laughs> I mean, things, things used Why to be... Structured. Asking, like, why are we here on Earth? What is the purpose of... No, but... Well, I mean, I guess so, because it, everything that we used to do across cultures all came from a... Basically, a religious framework. Yeah. And the framework was, if you're good, you go to heaven. You, in, in whichever continent you want to point that towards that. And now we don't have that. And... We've got in like a third of people in the United States have been diagnosed with depression at some point, something like 20%, maybe anxiety. And is it that we have always had this uh, percentage of mental health 
problems or is it that there's something fundamentally wrong? It's funny you bring that up. I was talking about that with somebody like say a hundred years ago, like when my grandparents were little or their, their parents, they didn't have the same stressors, you know, all my, you know, I grew up in Alberta, Canada, um, all my grandparents and their grandparents, they were farmers or whatever. They had different stressors. I don't think they had the pressures. They had different pressures, not like now, mm. you know, I think depression, I mean, depression was big back then, but I think it wasn't like it is now. I don't know. I don't, I know it's, it's, it seems like every time I turn around, somebody is saying the new thing of, oh, I have social anxiety or I'm depressed or I'm on this medication now, but because I think we're, I think we over, I think we medicate. Yeah. I think there's an increase in diagnoses for, you know, just because we learn more about it, which is probably a good thing. And, but there's also the pharmaceutical companies that are making money off of prescribing these things. So there's an obvious conflict of interest with, where these pharmaceutical companies are incentivized to increase diagnoses, which, doctors which seems, concerned. which seems obviously bad that we should probably do something about that. And may, maybe we do have some regulations in place that I don't know about, but it seems like a one place we could look at. Oh yeah. You know, my favorite new one that I've been hearing is I'm an empath and <laughs> may lose some listeners over this one, but you know, people go, well, I'm an empath. I just feel everything. I feel everyone's pain, you know? Yeah. I, number, I know exactly what you're talking about. And those people, that's you know, because I can, I have empathy for people, but I'm not going to like, I like, if my, if my kid is on my heart, right. I'll give him a ring and just say, Hey, you were, I was thinking about you a lot today, or, you know, my daughter-in-laws or whatever, you know, or people I love and I'm close to, but taking on their stuff or taking on people's stuff. That's that new thing of I'm an empath. I just feel everything for everybody. And that's an excuse. I think that's an excuse my... for their behavior. Yeah. For acting the ways they want to act. Yeah, hundred percent. I see that. I see that with the, what comes to mind for me is the people who say, oh, I'm neurodivergent. Okay. Uh, you know, I get anxiety and it, it does seem like an excuse to act a certain way without mm -hmm. having to face the consequences. So they're like, oh, well, I, I don't have to be, I don't have to hold myself accountable for the way I act because I have some mental disorder. So, you know, you have to, you have to give me a free pass on the way I act. So are we, is this a lowering of the bar of, of, of what an actual problem is? Lowering of the well, bar? I think, I think there's a lot of, I think there's a lot of pieces to this answer. And I think we're probably going to confuse the fuck out of people listening to our answer to your, your question. I think, I think there's I, a lot of, a lot of answers to this and I don't know how to give you a concise one, Alec. I'm sorry. I think life can be a challenge. Life is hard. I mean, life, I mean, life, life is hard, right? It's not easy, you know? Um, how do we deal with it? I think another aspect is life has, it's, it's hard, but like the immediate, like if I need to go hunt my animal, you know, hunt for my family so I can provide for them. Now we can just order something on the Uber app, get something delivered to yeah. my house. And so it's a lot, all that work that we've traditionally done to satisfy our basic needs. Now we have all this extra time and there's not like 
somebody trying and to break in and kill me. So I think we're wired to be in those stressful situations. But now we're not, and we're just like sitting here wasting away in our padded or like golden palace. Yeah. Instead of doing the Uber Eats or the whatevers, just go and walk and pick it up or, you know. Yeah, go to the store, make your, make your own fucking food. <laughs> yeah. But. You think a lot of what uh, people are listing as problems like social anxiety or taking on too much of other people's problems or neurodivergence could be mitigated just by simple exercise, That's just like getting involved in the world. Yeah. I know McCoy, my youngest, he's 20. Listen, I think Brock told him about it. If you go outside first thing in the morning for like 15, 20 minutes, the vitamin D that you get from the sun, number one, it wakes you up, you feel better. I mean, how many people spend time outside in the sun? Not many. You know, oh, I'm depressed. You don't want to get out of bed. Now, granted, don't get me wrong. I have friends with that struggle with severe depression and it's hard. And, but, you know, I think any of us on a day-to-day -day basis, we can make little changes to make help. Us yeah. There's better. some things you can do to get a little bit better. Yeah. You know, 15 minutes of waking up with the sun seems like a good one. I bet Um, you said that was McCoy. Who brought that up about it? Yeah, and Brock's been listening to Dr. Huberman. I think that's exactly who it is. <laughs> we, we, all love, we all love Dr. Huberman. Yeah, <laughs> we quite often will shoot podcasts back and forth between the three of us. You know, AKA Dr. Neck. I'm trying to get a neck like that. He's Dr. great. Neck. Yeah, all the stuff he's posting on alcohol and all that stuff. All of his new. You need to look all that up, Mister. Who I've been yeah. three o'clock in the morning drinking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, I feel called out here. I shouldn't admit that. Uh, who cares? Hey, if if it makes you feel any better, Hunter, I was up until one, walking laps around the downtown, looking for some kind of social connection with a beer in one hand, and uh, oh, eventually got home and went to sleep. Searching for a social connection. He wants he wants people to join his book club. What book club are you doing, Alec? Well, this is it. <laughs> the podcast started as a as a book club between Hunter and I, and we decided to record it, and then it evolved into interviews. That's great. His well, the book club I was talking yeah, about was something he was looking to share with someone in his bed, probably. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that's not why we low. started this book club, by the way. Which is, <laughs> these are two different book clubs. <laughs> Yeah, Hunter and I have a very different kind of book club. Lights are up. Hand check. So, Deanne, uh, thank you <laughs> yeah. for coming on. We're about Great. at the end of the episode where we want to ask, we like to ask people, what would be a good call to action you would like to share with folks listening? A good call to action? Help me out with that. Like, uh, you know, if they were going to listen to this episode and do something beneficial to their lives or to maybe uh, schizophrenic causes that help people with mental illnesses, what would be that call to action to listeners? Man, you know, I think the first thing we do is judge, right? We see someone, we judge. I think just change our thinking. Be less, just, less judgmental. Less judgmental. Just remember, you know, I think a lot of people think that schizophrenia and mental illness, it's you know, you're poor, you're home, you know, da, 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 not realizing that they came from, you know, great families and have, 
older and younger brothers and parents that loved and adored them, you know, looking without judgment. I think for me, because I think we look with judgment too quickly and go, oh, gross, look at that. Or he's weird or, oh my gosh, walk on the other side of the street, you know, mm -hmm. look with compassion, look with love. I do. I love that. I like, I like walk on the other side of the street for once. I like that too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that call to action is that if that's where, that's a simple way to start. Just look with love and not with judgment. Look with love. That was Deanne, everybody. Thank you very much. Thanks, Deanne. All right. Bye guys. Thanks. Dave. Look first with love, not with judgment. Thank you, Deanne, for that uh, impactful episode and that meaningful takeaway, it's definitely something that I need to employ more, something I need to be more conscious about. And thank you, listener, for listening to this whole episode. It's something that is close to us, and hopefully you found it meaningful as well. And if you did find it meaningful, please feel free to touch base with us. On the Spotify episode, there is a poll and a question below if you scroll down. Or if you're listening on a different platform, you can reach out to us directly via our email, entitledopinionpodcast at gmail.com. And we have an Instagram, entitledopinionpod. We'd love to connect with you, hear any stories you might have, or if you've got any questions, um, maybe just being able to touch base with someone who's gone through something similarly could be useful for you. So you're not alone out there. Thank you very much for listening to this whole episode. We appreciate you very much. Bye.